So, anyways, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. And I'll be honest, man, like, I kept the window shut on this side because I don't want to look out there and see it, you know? I think I talked to Ben this morning. I said, man, you know, I, I really kind of started looking for, like, uh, job job offers in Florida and, and Mississippi last night. And he said, oh, I look every night. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to take any job offers. I'm just kidding. But uh, I did look just to see what, it, man, I wonder what that'd be like if somebody's out there planting a church on a beach right now and we're here in Snowmageddon getting hammered, you know, for nine days straight, it seems like. So Second Corinthians chapter 5 is where we'll be. And if I had to sum this sermon up into a sentence, it would say, as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ with the message of reconciliation, who are motivated by the fear of the Lord and controlled by the love of Christ. Again, as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ with the message of reconciliation, who are motivated by the fear of the Lord and controlled by the love of Christ. Please stand with me as we honor God's word. Second Corinthians, it's after First Corinthians, Ben. Second uh, Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 18 it, the Word of God says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can have a seat while we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you, God, that you've called us here to this place and that you've kept us safe um, as we've traveled here this morning. And Father, we continue to pray for those who might be traveling here and, and praying for those who are watching online. God, that couldn't be with us this morning. We pray that you would strengthen their hearts and um, help them to focus uh, on on the message this morning to, to exalt you, to lift you high. And, and God, that's our prayer here in this place uh, as a church body that is gathered and assembled together, that we would glorify you and we would exalt you. So Father, I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way and that you would be big, Jesus. And we want to take time to pray, God, for the Mikey Laughlin outreach that's going to go on this, this week uh, as we partner with Freeway Ministries to do that. And Father, we just ask that Many lives would be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the coats or the hats or the scarves or the gloves or any of that would just simply be um, a, a tool, a tool that we would be able to, to use to, to be able to have that good, hard, uh, honest gospel conversation with them, that many hearts would be softened right now, Lord, that you would cause eyes to, to see and ears to hear your message and to receive your truth, Lord. And we, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And God, we also, also pray for, um, um, for uh, Westside Church this morning uh, as part of our one of our churches that partners with us. And we ask, God, that you'd be with them as they've um, are meeting online. And God, we ask that you would meet all of their needs this week um, uh, and that, God, you would uh, help us to focus or help them to focus on, on the message this as well this morning that's being preached online, that just because we couldn't gather in person doesn't, wouldn't stop them from worshiping with their family through technology. So, Lord, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. And before we jump into this, I kind of want to take time to, <clears throat> to praise a few things that I've heard this week uh, from a few individuals within our church. And I thought it was really awesome, so I just really want to celebrate that. Because, uh, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you can get like a little discouraged sometimes when you're just like, ugh, man, like, I wonder if anybody's getting it, you know? And then you get these like nuggets that God gives you right. And the first one, I was at Ben and Amanda's house this last week, and I was just sitting on the couch, and Naomi and Amanda were talking to each other. And, they, and, and Amanda had listed off like, 
three people or three families that she has been like actively pursuing with the gospel. Like she, and like, I think she even put it in the terms of like, like they're on her radar. Like she's like, she, <laughs> she's shooting at them, you know, and she sees them and she, she actively engages them with the gospel and she's working on them and, and, and praying for them and these things. And whereas I was just like kind of sitting back acting like I wasn't paying attention on my phone, I was hearing this and it was really it was awesome, man. It, it helped my heart a lot. It lifted my spirits up to hear like, man, you guys are getting it. So she had, she had named out like three people and one of the ones that she'd been working on had gotten saved. And I don't think, I don't know if Amanda was the one that, that brought him to salvation, but whatever it was, like, I mean, she planted the seeds like along the way or watered the seeds and stuff. And then God gave the increase. And then also my brother Colin, he was uh, at the gym this last week and, and he sent me a message and he said, hey dude, I had like a 40 minute conversation with the guy who worked at the gym and I think he might come to church. You know, we talked about Jesus the whole time. So I'm like, amen, dude, that's another one. And then Cody, uh, of course, on, on Saturday, on Friday, you know, he's, he called me. He said, dude, I've just been driving around pulling people out of the ditch and telling them about Jesus and inviting them to church. And I'm like, that's an, that's an awesome ministry, man. <laughs> you know, like if, that, if there's a ministry for Cody, that's it right there. You know, give him a snatch rope and a Jeep and he'll, he'll tell the whole world about Jesus. You know, and I, man, I was just encouraged. Like I, I really felt super encouraged by that. So thank you guys so much. And, and, I, and I celebrate that. Um, so the introduction to this text here, the, the main thrust of this text is reconciliation. And what do I mean by that word reconciliation? The dictionary defines reconciliation as the restoration of, of friendly relationships. So you might think of two people who, who might argue or get into a fight or something like that. They're duking it out or, or whatever. At the end of that, like they're, they're probably not the best of friends, right? Well, there's a process that happens, you know, reconciliation goes down. Uh, maybe somebody gets in the middle of it um, and to reconcile each other uh, together that they're able to restore this friendly relationship. Sometimes as husbands and wives, we have to go home and recon- be reconciled to one another because we dropped the ball somewhere, right? You know, I've been known to do that probably, well, recently a lot. We're going to have a baby soon. So I've been known to do that a lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so it's, it's a restoration of, of friendly relationships. And here in this text, the word reconciliation does mean the restoration of friendly relationships. But like everything else in the word of God, it actually dives very, very much deeper. And so I think in order to give a good illustration of what reconciliation is, and I hope that I can use it kind of as a thread all throughout this, this sermon, I want to talk about the life uh, uh, of the Apostle Paul. And, and we know from Acts chapter 9 that that the Apostle Paul was headed on the road to Damascus, right? And, and he had arrest warrants for these Christians. He had just held the coat for uh, those who had stoned Stephen. He approved heartily of Stephen's murder. He's equipped, equipped with these arrest warrants, and he's on the way to, uh, uh, to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, and then he gets knocked down on his behind, right? And he has this conversation with Jesus. And the people around him uh, didn't see anything or the bright light or any of that stuff, but they could hear the voice that was happening. And through this, Paul was blinded and, and he went into a place and, and then God put it on Ananias' heart to come, right, and lay his hands on Paul. And when he laid his hands on Paul, he received the Holy Spirit. Paul was saved. He was baptized. And then he spent some days um, with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately after that, he went out and he preached Jesus. So because of of the message of Jesus, Paul endured persecution. He endured shipwreck, <clears throat> shipwrecks, and later on in his life, imprisonments. And, and finally, as tradition tells us, he was beheaded. 
And so this is a vivid display of reconciliation, right? A man who once hated God, and he, a man who once hated God so much that he was persecuting Christians, who, 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 uh, who was persecuting Christians and, and heartily approving of the murder of a Christian, was reconciled himself to God through faith by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that man took up the mantle of the ministry that had been entrusted to him, and out of fear of the Lord and controlled by the love of Christ, took the message of reconciliation to the nations. That's what reconciliation does, right? In, in the gospel biblical sense is it takes somebody like Paul, a murderer, um, um, one who persecuted Jesus, and then an enemy of God, and then takes the two, God and Paul, and makes them in right relationship with each other. And Paul then becomes a friend, becomes a son, right? Becomes an apostle. And so what exactly is this text implying that we read? I think it implies two, two major parts. That since God reconciled us to himself through Christ, we then have a God-given ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ. So let's look at the first one. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. In verse 18, we see the, the source of this reconciliation. And the text says in verse 18 in chapter 5 that all of this, the reconciliation, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, this is the, the this is, is uh, sorry, this is true that, that God is the source. This is true that God is the initi initiator. This is true that God is the originator of our reconciliation. However, that word, those words, all of this is from God in verse 18, isn't referring just to verse 18 and following to verse 21. However, Paul has everything in chapter 5 in mind. He, he, he especially has verse 11 in mind. See, the Corinthian church seemed to have some thoughts that maybe Paul was, was not in his right mind because he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And he reminds them that, that all of this is from God. His suffering is from God. And that in the fear of the Lord that Paul and his colleagues persuades others in the gospel. And that the love of Christ actually controls him or compels him to do so because he has concluded this one very thing. That one has died for all. Therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And that's in verse 14 in chapter 5. So because of this, and because he no longer regards Christ according to the flesh, as he says, after his Damascus Road experience, he also sees people in a different light as well. That those, he sees these people that, that are in Christ, those that are blood-bought, uh, blood saved by grace through faith Christians, he sees them actually as new creations. And all of this is from God. All of this is from God, encompasses the fear of the Lord that drives his gospel ministry. It encompasses the love of Christ that compels him in his, comp in, his, in his gospel ministry. It encompasses the state of being made new in Christ that happens upon faith. But it also encompasses the fact that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us a ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19 deepens this a little bit more. And that is... Uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And then he adds this, not counting their trespasses against them. 
So in the beginning of the sermon, we talked about what reconciliation means, uh, and we talked about how it, a lot of it has to do with having our relationship restored with God. However, it continues to dive deeper from there. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, how exactly was that relationship restored with God? How exactly was Paul's relationship restored with God? How exactly is our relationship restored with God? For instance, how can a man like Paul, who breathed threats, who was a murderer, who was bearing arrest warrants for early Christians, go from an enemy of God as he was to an apostle of Jesus Christ, one that was sent? How can that happen? Through Christ. Through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. Through Christ. And, and, and the place of reconciliation was the place uh, of, was, was Golgotha over 2,000 years ago. He reconciled us to himself through Christ at the place, at the foot of the cross, to over 2,000 years ago. And in our rebellion, or almost 2,000 years ago, in our rebellion as sinful man, we are enemies to God, not in right standing with him, opposed to his ways, and forever separated from him. You guys understand that, right? Like before Jesus, we didn't love God. So many people talk about like, oh, before Jesus, I love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Or before they were saved, I, I, I love God. I know God, right? Well, why do you do the things that he hates? Then it, it's, it's true that we don't love God when we don't do the things that he tells us to do, right? It's true that we don't love God. In fact, we're opposed to his rules. We're opposed to his grace. We're opposed to what he has to say. We're opposed to his laws. We're an enemy to him. We stand in opposition. We're forever separated from him by our sin. However... Upon the bloody cross of Calvary, the full demands of God's holy justice was satisfied and the due penalty of our sin was paid through the death of Jesus, making a way for all who would believe in him to be saved. This is reconciliation. This restoration is the result of Christ exactly and precisely exchanging his righteous blood for our sinful guilt. Exactly and precisely. Reconciliation has, also has everything to do with this I guess, $10 word, imputation. And so the word imputation means to put, uh, to put into one's account. As I talked about earlier, we were um, in opposition, enemies to God. We were spiritually bankrupt. We had nothing to offer. We were in the negative, spiritually bankrupt. And so this word imputation means to put into one, uh, one's account. And this is where verse 21 comes into play. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, the perfect, sinless, innocent son of God had all of our sins laid upon him. They were put into his account and he was treated as if he had actually committed them all. But by his blood, through his death, those sins have been paid for by his grace and through our faith. Those sins are no longer held against us because for our sake, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our bank account that was spiritually bankrupt had nothing to offer, had his righteousness deposited in it. Not only was our sin put onto in, into Jesus' account, but his righteousness was imputed, put into our account that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. So when God looks at us now, when we're washed in the blood, when we're clothed in the robes of Jesus Christ, he no longer sees us as enemies. He no longer sees us as children of the devil. He no longer sees us as orphans separated by sin. When he looks upon us, he sees his children 
He sees us as sons and daughters. He sees us as friends. He sees us as, as giving us the full inheritance and rights of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. This is reconciliation and imputation. He looks at us this way because of the imputation that has taken place and the reconciliation of the lost sinner to himself through the life and death of Jesus Christ. This is how someone like Paul goes from a murderer to an apostle. This is how somebody like you or me goes from a filthy sinner to a saved by grace saint. It's important to remember though that the story doesn't end with Jesus dead on a cross, right? The story doesn't end there. After three days alone in the grave, God raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, where after he rose, he taught for 40 days concerning the kingdom of heaven before he ascended to the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. So in his teaching during these 40 days about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus spoke words like this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always. And he also taught this about the kingdom of heaven, heaven uh, when he commissioned his disciples in acts in chapter 1 and verse 8 but you will receive power uh, when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in judea and in samaria and to the end of the earth he has given us commission after he left so our second point of the sermon our second half uh, our god-given ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for christ Let's take a look at the language used here by Paul as he describes this ministry of reconciliation. In the first case, uh, in verse 18, we see that as he describes this ministry of reconciliation, we see that Paul says that God gave him and his colleagues this ministry of reconciliation. So we see that it's a God-given ministry. And then in, in verse 19, we, say, we see that Paul says that God entrusted to them the message of reconciliation. In the interlinear uh, Bible that I have, it reads that uh, entrusted literally means having put into us the word of reconciliation. Uh, Being entrusted with the message of reconciliation literally, literally is spelled out in the original. Having put into us the word of reconciliation. Literally, God has put into Paul, he has fixed and established the word of reconciliation into who Paul is. It's in his DNA. It's who he is. It's a God-given ministry and a God-given word god is trusting paul and trusting him as a steward of his word of reconciliation and because of this paul is able to write we are ambassadors for christ ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us he's speaking through us and and from those three instances alone it isn't hard to gather that paul has a ministry of reconciliation that has been given to him by god in which he represents christ as an ambassador But we have to ask ourselves this question. uh, Is this ministry only for Paul and for his colleagues? Right? Because he's speaking a lot about us, 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 in in reference to him and his colleagues there. Is this ministry only for him and his friends? Is this this ministry only for the apostles? Is this ministry only for the original 12? Is this ministry only for the early church? Is this ministry only for the Acts 2.42 church? No, if you're alive and breathing, if you you have your lungs filled with air, and and you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ, this is your duty. Just as God has has put uh, 
put into Paul the word of reconciliations as Christians, we too have the message of reconciliation fixed and rooted into us as Christians. Each one of us have also been given the ministry of reconciliation. And I want to kind of break that word ambassador down a little bit. An ambassador is a a trusted diplomat, right? A a trusted diplomat sent by a country where where he belongs to as its official representative to a, for, to a foreign country. So they speak for their country that they're from, and, and they represent that country where they're from in a foreign place where they have them stationed, right? Do I, do I have that right for the most part, an ambassador? I asked the only guy here that works in the government. As it is with us Christians, this is who we are. We're ambassadors in a foreign place that's not our home. We're ambassadors in a foreign place where we don't belong. It's not our home anyways. Representing our sovereign king, Jesus Christ. Speaking on behalf of him. And this is why it's vital that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And this is why it's vital that we know the message of reconciliation. We must understand that we are representing the God of the universe in this feeble and broken world that is not our home. We are ambassadors. And let me tell you something. Our king has a kingdom that he desires to be inhabited for eternity by those who believe in him unto salvation. Our king has a kingdom uh, where, he, where we won't be beggars or peasants. Our king has a kingdom where we get to sit around the table with him and feast. Our king has a kingdom of reconciliation where all things are made new and we get to dwell with him again. Our king has a kingdom and we are his ambassadors. We're his messengers. We represent him. We are trusted diplomats sent by Christ with the message of reconciliation ingrained in the fibers of our being. It's in our blood cells. It's in our DNA. This is who we are. This is our purpose. We've been made new. We're a new creation. As the verses before that I had spoke about, we're no longer living to the ways of the world anymore, but we're living for the one who died for us. It's who we are. In fact, God is making his appeal to all who are lost and far off through us. Isn't that amazing? That he would use somebody like Cody. He'd use somebody like me. Somebody like Ben. Somebody like Joanna. Just a bunch of knuckleheads. A bunch of people who, man, we didn't have anything great to bring to anybody. But he would use us. Sinful people after he saves us to take his message of of reconciliation to to a lost and dying people. Look, our, our king has a kingdom and it's our job to give directions to it. And I, I heard an old boy say one time that uh, we're just basically waiters and waitresses in God's restaurant. And it's our job to get the food to the table without spilling it. We're not responsible if anybody likes it. We're not responsible for that whatsoever. But our job is just to get the food to the table without spilling it. Not to mess this thing up. Our job, as Adrian Rogers says, is, is I'm just a beggar showing another beggar where the bread's at. That's it. Trying to point others to the bread. Trying to give others directions to the kingdom. Just getting the food to the table. That's our job. It's who we are. We have seen how God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. We have seen that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That he has put his message in us and made us ambassadors for Christ. But what exactly does the ministry of reconciliation look like? How do we do it? What's it look like? How do we do this? So we just kind of dive off into this last point. What does the ministry of reconciliation look like? First, the, the ministry of reconciliation is, 
is driven by fear of, of the Lord. And it's driven out of love controlled by, by Christ. And so I need to bring in front of us what we've learned from Paul regarding the, the ministry of reconciliation. Remember what he said back in verse 11? He said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. When I talked about how Paul was really talking, of, uh, when I, sorry, when I talked about Paul in verse 18, when he said, all of this is from God, and how I said that he really had all of chapter five in mind, I was backing us up to really try to get the context of this thing. And in verse 11, he said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then in verse 14, he said this, that for the love of Christ controls us to do these things. See, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul has, that has been, or that we have, that has been given to us by God, in which we've been made ambassadors, is motivated by these two truths, the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. It's because of the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that this last sentence in verse 20 comes alive in our witness. We implore you, we beg you, is what that word means. We plead with you on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God out of fear of the Lord and out of the love of Christ and coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That verse, that sentence comes alive. See, the, the ministry of reconciliation is much like this. It's a, it's a begging, it's a pleading with those who are far off, who are enemies to God, to come by faith and be reconciled to God who gave his son that we might be saved and in right relationship with him. It's a lot of what the ministry of reconciliation looks like. Just like everything else in this participation series so far that we've gone through, I don't know if you guys have, have noticed that. It's like I start off with a direction of where I want to go, and not during the sermon, but when I'm doing sermon prep. Like, I, 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 like when I'm thinking about prayer, for instance, I was thinking, man, I'm going to come up with like five major good points, how we could pray for the church, and everybody's going to have a prayer partner and all these things. And then by the time I get done walking through First Thessalonians in chapter 5, I'm like, dude, this is getting to the heart of the matter. We need to pray without ceasing, right? Like each time it's been at the heart of the matter and, and how worship is actually more than a song. It's actually a sacrifice that we make every day, right? Like it's, it goes deeper than that. And just like everything else, it's, it does as well here. And so I wouldn't have to venture far to say that, that where there's no healthy fear of the Lord in your life and, and where there's no resist or where there's resistance to the control of the love of Christ in our lives, then there's little to no ministry of reconciliation happening in our in our uh, in our lives, right? Where there's no real fear of the Lord, where there's no control of the love of, of Christ, there's not really a ministry of reconciliation that's going to be happening. Where there's no fear of the Lord, where there's no where we're not controlled by the love of Christ, our ministry of reconciliation will only be empty words. It's it's going to be fruitless deeds. It's going to be done out of uh, repetition, right? Like this is the the mumble jumble. This is what we go through every single day. It's it's fruitless deeds, and, and, and we'll only stand as a, a straw house in the face of adversity if there's no fear of the Lord and, not, and if we're not controlled by the love of Christ. But when we, on the contrary, when, when there is a healthy fear of the Lord and when we are driven by the love of Christ, we'll go to great lengths to ensure that the message of reconciliation is, is proclaimed to the nations. That when we're faced with adversity, we stand strong like a, like a brick house because we're, we're, our foundation is on the rock, right? When our, 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 our words aren't empty then, they're full of spirit and truth and grace and, and our deeds aren't fruitless. They're done out of love and controlled by love of Christ and done out of the fear of the Lord that we have. 
will go to great lengths. And, and something else that, that I noticed here in this text that the, that the ministry of reconciliation looks like is, is that the ministry of reconciliation is explicit. It means it's very clear, right? You don't have any reason to wonder, like, is that really what it is? No, it's very clear. And so there's this guy... His name was St. Francis, and he was from this place called CC. And we like to make fun of him because St. Francis is stupid, and he said some really dumb things, right? I probably shouldn't have said that. But he said something that was, that was not very, that it wasn't super wise, you know? And he said this, like, it's super famous, and people everywhere will use it. So if you use it, I'm sorry, we can fight afterwards. But the Bible says this, or St. Francis from CC, or St. Francis the Sissy, like we call, like to call him, said this, preach the gospel Use words if necessary. Like, what? You didn't say anything there. Preach the gospel. Use words if, if necessary. That, that's very terrible. Like, maybe if I'm, if I'm being super gracious, I can look at that and be like, I understand maybe what you're saying, right? Like, I, I can get at the heart of, of what you're saying there because maybe you're saying, you know, like, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, as we serve the Lord every day, maybe our actions will sort of point people to Jesus. But it's not the gospel, and you can't preach the gospel without proclaiming, which is what the word preach means. You have to use words because the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible doesn't say, hey, faith comes by watching Cody pull people out of the snow in Jesus' name. Like, it might be an avenue maybe that God might use, but here's the thing. If that person don't hear the gospel, there is no faith that's going to be activated. There is no salvation that's going to happen. There has to be proclaimed the gospel explicitly and clearly without a wonder of, is that really what that was, has to be proclaimed, guys. I'm sorry, I got excited. I don't mean to yell at you. Faith, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You guys remember the order that I, I, like to, I like to talk about this all the time. In Romans in chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, if, if you have beautiful feet, it's because you're sent. And if you're sent, it's, it's to preach. And if, if you preach, it's so that people will hear. And they're hearing so that they'll believe. And they believe so that they'll call on Jesus. And why do they need to call on Jesus? So that they'll be saved. It's in that order how it happens. The, the message of reconciliation is very explicit. It's very clear in the scriptures. It's very explicit in the passage that we're looking at today. Even here in verse 15, and I know the way that we've preached this text, we've kind of jumped back and forth between some texts, but uh, Paul has just kind of treated it almost like the Apostle John and treated this like a spiral staircase as he's kind of gotten deeper and deeper each time instead of going linear. And so we've treated it kind of in the same way. But see, Paul begins, uh, or the, the ministry of reconciliation is very explicit here because Paul begins with the initiator, right? Like he begins right off the flip. All of this is from God. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, in the world to do what couldn't be done without him, to restore a relationship between fallen man and holy God. He makes it clear that we obviously aren't reconciled to God in some way, shape, or form. So God, or in, in our sins, so God sent his son, Jesus, to reconcile us to himself, right? To die on the cross for our sins to remember our transgressions no more, to put his sins, our sins behind his back, to restore the relationship between fallen man and a holy God, to make a way not to count our trespasses against us. And, and he even dives deeper into that too, as well as, uh, you know, for our sake, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sent on the cross, the imputation, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, to die in our place so that by his death and through faith, we might become the righteousness of God. It's very explicit. He starts off by saying, that, look, it's God who started this. And we're sinners. 
And we need a savior. Very clear. There's no guessing about what he's trying to say here. So notice what else Paul has included in the message of reconciliation. He's included an invitation, right? At the very end of it all, right there in, in verse 20, when he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, what, what good would it be of, of Paul to share the gospel truth and never give them an opportunity to respond? What good would it be of Paul to share this gospel, this ministry of reconciliation, and never say like, hey, you can have an opportunity to do that now, right? Or, or you need to go home and pray about these things or something, some way. And Paul decides to say it by, by saying, I beg you, I beg you, I plead with you earnestly, like time is running out, I beg you, be reconciled to God, right? And that's the way he chose to do his invitation. How could this be a ministry of reconciliation if he never gives the hearer a chance to be reconciled? For us as Christians today in, in 2024, in, in a little church in, in a little church plant in midtown Omaha that's just getting up off its feet, this, the message and the implications of this text are exactly the same. See, we are motivated by the fear of the Lord, controlled by the love of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, God is making his appeal to, uh, or through us to a city that's well over 75% lost. See, he is making his appeal through us to the 340 plus thousand people in the city without Christ. So the implications are the same to us today here in Midtown Omaha in a little tiny church plant. The ministry of reconciliation has been given to us and not just as a church but to each one of us individually the, the message of reconciliation has it's been entrusted to you and it's been entrusted to, to me that we might take this message outside the walls of this place to to multiply disciples and churches that live and look like jesus wherever we're planted motivated by the fear of the lord Controlled by the love of Christ, we must take this explicit message of reconciliation into our homes, right? Into our workplaces, whether it's a concrete truck or a cop car or a Christian school even. We have to take this message of reconciliation to where we work. Into our schoolhouses, right? Carlito and Jasmine and Anthony and Veranda, we take this message of the gospel into where we go to school as well. We take it into our grocery stores where we shop, into the park where we play, into the gym where we exercise. We must implore those around us to be reconciled to their creator out of the fear of God and out of the love of Christ. It's our duty, guys. So Paul lived a, a life of reconciliation. A man who once persecuted Christians, an enemy of God, was brought into a right relationship with the one that he was persecuting. And not long after the day that he was saved, he went forth in his ministry uh, of reconciliation to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, from the synagogues to the marketplace, before kings and chained to guards, and on Mars Hill surrounded by idols, Paul implored the people he was placed in front of to be reconciled to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he was on the boat, when he was shipwrecked, he still used that as an opportunity to proclaim Jesus. Every situation and every area that he was in, every circumstance that he was placed in, he preached Jesus. Yes, Paul was an apostle, but Paul was also a Christian. There, there were times a great number of people would believe, and then there were times that no one would believe, right? But Paul never gave up. See, in the good 
in the good times and in the bad times. Paul persevered because he had been entrusted with the word of reconciliation. No matter what we do, whatever our calling is, whether you guys are called to go to another church other than this one, or, or whether we go, to pro, or we go to start another church somewhere else, or whatever might happen later on down the road, whatever our each individual calling is, the general call is still the same for each and every single one of us. No matter how hard, no matter how bad, we have the ministry of reconciliation, and that's what we do as Christians no matter where we go, no matter what avenue of life we're in or, you know, avenue of life that we're on, no matter what situation we're in or circumstance that we have, we proclaim Jesus, a ministry of reconciliation. So, listen, church, may, may this be true of us as well, that God has taken a small group of people, people who were once hated, or people who once hated him, people who, who once were liars, people who, who once were murderers and drug addicts and drunkards and adulterers and fornicators and people who were once broken and fallen and sinful enemies to God. May this be true of us, that God has taken us after he has called us his children through the blood of his son and used us to shake the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be true of us. And may it be true of us at Imago Day that we are a people motivated by the fear of the Lord and controlled by the love of Christ to take this message of reconciliation that's been entrusted to us, to the lost and dying around us all day and every day you understand that everybody most people that we come in contact if it's 75 percent of omaha at the bare minimum openly claims to be non-christian most people we come in contact with every day is not going to know jesus three out of four we have a ministry all around us may it be true of us in the good times and in the bad that we remain faithful when we hear the roar of the people chasing us out of town for the sake of the gospel, may we remain faithful. And when we can almost hear the rejoicing of the angels, when one lost sinner makes heaven their home, may it be true of us that we remain faithful to our ministry of reconciliation. And I want you to imagine with me, what if each one of us here in this room today was broken over the fallen state of someone near them every single day? I want you to imagine with me, what if each one of us was motivated by the fear of the Lord and the love of Jesus Christ to share with that person the message of reconciliation? I want you to imagine with me, what if we implored them? What if we begged them? What if we pled with them to be reconciled to Christ? I want you to imagine with me, what if we invited them to church and promised to walk alongside them for their life as disciples? I want you to imagine with me, what if we each focused on just one person? One person. We committed that person to prayer. And we committed that person, uh, we're, we're going to share the message of reconciliation with that person. We committed that person, uh, or committed to that person to walk alongside them in discipleship. I want you to imagine with me the dent that that could make, not only in our city, but also in our church as well. You guys understand how multiplication works, right? Ten turns into Twenty. And 20 turns into 40. It really works this way. And, and 40 turns into 80. And 80 to 160. And I can't count any higher than that. But it multiplies and it keeps going. So I want you to imagine with me what we could do as a local church if we took the ministry of reconciliation that's been entrusted to us seriously. Instead of saying, I'll talk to them next time. What if we were driven by the fear of God and the love of Jesus Christ? I want you to imagine with me what God would do if we all acknowledge that we are ambassadors of Christ and that God is making an appeal through us. Joanna, you can come on up if you want. And 
And I'm not, I'm not too naive to believe that everybody here in this place, maybe even online with the few people that are, are watching, I'm not too naive to believe that everyone in here is, is reconciled to God. You see, like, I know the odds are actually probably pretty high that in this place what looks like a sheep is really a goat. Maybe online, what, what looks like a sheep is really a goat. What looks like a Christian really isn't a Christian. And, and so I just I ask you just to kind of maybe take time and reflect on that. Have you, have you come to a place where you've been reconciled to God? We have to understand that our sin has separated from us from God. But, but through the cross of Christ, this sin can be fully forgiven once and for all. You understand that we can experience, you can experience eternal amnesty. Amnesty, sorry, I can't say that word. We can experience recreation in Christ through faith. See, you understand that God has punished your sin on the cross of Calvary, and, and he wants to make you righteous. He wants to bring you into a right relationship with him. So don't think that just because you said some prayer or just because you, you, know, you, you show up to church every week, or maybe you tune in online, that you've been reconciled to God. Ask God, God, has, has this happened? Am I really saved? So I implore you on behalf of Christ, just as Paul did here in this text, be reconciled to God. And I implore us as Christians, let's take our ministry of reconciliation seriously outside the walls of this place, empowered by the fear of God and controlled by the love of Christ, guys. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so grateful for the ministry that you've given us of reconciliation. And Father, I pray for each person here in this room today that you would put on their heart, put on their mind, at least one person, one person that they work next to, one person that they serve next to, one person that they uh, go to school with, one person that they see in the grocery store often. Put on their heart, put on their mind, one person that they could commit to prayer, one person that they can meet and, and plead with, that they be reconciled to their creator, that they could explicitly share in love the fact that they are sinners separated from God, but that God loved them so much that he made a way through Christ on the cross to be reconciled to them, that he made a way that they, through faith, and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ could be saved and experience eternal amnesty, experience eternity in heaven with him. So God, I pray that you embolden us, each and every single one of us, this week. Help our, uh, our witness to be fruitful. Help it to be strong. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.